You're listening to The Blind, Stealing the Blinds, a podcast by students of the game for students of the game. Join Dell and BJ in conversations about poker theory and bridging the gap between theory and application. We're all in this together. This week's topic, our one-year anniversary special. How about that? Hey, Dell, how's it going this week? It is going really good. It's kind of an exciting week for us here. I'm really excited about our guest today, and I'm really excited about what we're doing today. As far as my week goes, it's been great. It was nice to have Blake on last week, and it refreshed some of my uh, notion of getting back to the basics of behavioral reads. It's been exciting. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I really took Blake's message to heart about behavioral reads and the ability to apply it relatively quickly and not pulling the trigger, because that's one of the problems I have. I've mentioned on the podcast before that I've kind of replaced poker with golf in the summer since it's warmer, and my short game is terrible. If you don't know what a short game is, it's pretty much like putting, chipping, pitching. If you're around 10 yards or shorter to the green, that's your short game. And 90% of golf shots are driver, wedge, or putter. Pretty much 75% of your game is around or on the green. So I spent a lot of time practicing my chipping and putting. And at the beginning, it was practicing until I could get it right. Towards the end of the week, I was practicing until I couldn't get it wrong. And I think that's a really good distinction to make. And that's kind of like where I took Blake's advice about beyond tells and behavior. Honestly, I've been applying behavior like sporadically because I'm afraid of getting it right. Like I know I'm going to screw it up. I just need to do it and get comfortable with it until I can pull the trigger and not worry about getting it wrong. Because if I do get it wrong, big deal. I mean, I got post-flop playability. I know what I'm doing. So what would happen to your game if you practice on this at least once a week for an hour a week for 52 weeks? What would happen? Wow. I think we'd get pretty good at things like, I don't know, post-production, creating blogs, creating a YouTube channel, doing, yeah, happy anniversary. Yeah, one year of the blind stealing the blinds. It's kind of exciting. Did you think we'd get this far? No, I didn't think we would get past week one. And for those of you who have joined us relatively recently, you may not have heard us from episode one. Even if you did hear some episode one, you may not have heard this part. When Dell wanted to do a podcast, he wanted to do it with either one of two people, another coach from School of Cards or me. And he said, hey, let's go ahead and do a pilot episode. And I was like, fine, whatever. I will humor you. I'll do it. I have a microphone. I got a computer. Let's do it. And we did it. It was the sin of limping. It's a pretty good episode. I mean, I think the post-production is kind of cringeworthy, but we were new at it. And I was like, ah, this isn't going to go anywhere. I mean, it's, it's, it's a pilot episode. We'll do it once. We'll get done with it. We'll get bored and then we'll leave. Well, the things that surprised us in the first year, I can't do anything half-heartedly. If I get involved in anything, I go full bore into it. So not only was I interested in doing the podcast, which surprised me. I didn't think I would. I thought this was like a fleeting thing. I was going to humor Dell, but I got really good at post-production. I think we have a pretty darn good sound quality, and I think we have great content. We created a website. I think that I created our Twitter handle and our Instagram accounts. I can't remember if you did that, Dell, or if I did, but we're on social media. We're on YouTube, we're on all this stuff, and I spent all this time each week doing all this stuff behind the scenes that I never thought I'd be interested in, and yet, here we are. Yeah, it's interesting. So 
before we get too far, I want to introduce our guest. And what I want to say about it is he wasn't one of the two people that I wanted to do a podcast with. He wasn't. Womp womp. But if if you were to say to me tomorrow, I don't want to do this anymore, I think this is the person that I'd ask to step in for you. Yeah, Jordan's a pretty good backup. And, and keep it going. And he's been the most common guest we've had. And Everybody loves him, and our ratings always go up when he's on. So Jordan Sweet is joining us today to talk about our first year in podcasting. How you doing, Jordan? I'm good. Thank you for having me back. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, originally, I thought that I would want to do this with Seabass or BJ, and I still would love to do it with Seabass. It'd be nice to have that French-Canadian accent every week, although women swoon over. And some men, too, let's be fair. To be honest with you, the the quality you've brought to the episodes that you've been a part of has been really good and really amazing. And uh, it's always been a joy to have you on. So thank you for joining us today. And I want to... I love the games. <laughs> yeah. I mean, every time Jordan's on the show, we have some kind of game at the end of the episode, which I don't know if we have one coming into this. So I think Jordan has like 15 minutes to figure that out. <laughs> oh, good point. I really didn't think about no, that. No, no. Not you guys' as games. <laughs> no. So, Jordan, was there anything about listening to us for the first year that came as a surprise to you? Uh, well, I'll say, first of all, so we're on video chat so we can see each other. But when we first started, you had a, a pretty good beard going on. And uh, I think you both are freshly shaved right now. All three of us are, are shaved. Is that a summer thing, a spring thing? What happened? The wife said she missed my face, and I love her and like to keep her as happy as possible. I am physically incapable of growing facial hair. At one point, I had a petite goatee, which Dell thinks is the perfect quote for some swag. Yes, we should have that on a t-shirt. <laughs> I'll say the production, I think, is great. I think you, you really do separate yourself from other poker content, be it YouTube streams or just other podcasts. I mean, seriously, there's a couple uh, YouTube streams that is just are people talking into a camera with that drone like no production effort whatsoever. So yeah, it's a really good job going in depth into the extra stuff. I mean, you, you talk about like getting better at things, getting better at poker. Like there's a lot of time you need to study the stuff that you don't think needs to be studied, right? So you go into play poker, like the mental game, people don't understand how much work needs to be put into mental game. Like you're doing a podcast, you think, okay, we're just going to talk about some poker stuff, but you had to do a whole lot of work with learning post-production. I think it really shows. Thank you. Thank you. I will say another thing that surprised me beyond my ability to pick up the technical ancillary activities, it really amazes me the extent to which Dell is the theory guy and I'm the application guy. Dell knows so much more poker theory than I do. I thought I was pretty well versed in it. I thought it was pretty comfortable. I mean, even when I sit down at a 1-3 or 2-5 game, I'm confident in my ability to execute. And that pales in comparison to what Dell's capable of. The way that he explains his behavior, why he does what he does, how he walks through his actions and the considerations he has when playing a poker hand is beyond mine. Now, I might be able to apply what I know better, but Dell is going to blow me by in a year. I'm convinced. With as much theory as, as you know, once you just nail that down and you get the application down, you'll be crushing it. Like You'll be going pro and retiring. No more scaffolding for you. <laughs> it's funny. All right. I want to actually address what you just said there before I go into what surprised me the most this year. I think that that is a perfect way to make the point that application is so much more important than theory. It is so much more important than theory because 
that was one of the flaws in my game was that I was so focused on the theory and my application was lacking. Where your application was sound before you started advancing in your theory. And because of that, you're a more successful poker player than me. I think that if there's anything that our podcast has done, I hope that people who are listening to it understand that they got to get the basics down. They have to get the application on table of the basics. It's a super complex game. And we could talk about theory for hours. As much as you think I'm better than you at theory, I tend to think of Jordan and Dom being that much better than me at theory. And if you cannot take that theory and apply it at the table, it's useless. No, that's uh, the same for just a lot of ventures, essentially. New businesses that fail within the first year, sometimes a lot of it is just showing up. To see that you were able to show up week after week and pull off a podcast episode between balancing all your tasks, errands, whatever, that's part of it sometimes is just to put in the volume. Sometimes you can study for days and days and days, but if you're never going to the casino and putting in like actual hours, you're not going to get any benefit from it. The thing that surprised me the most in this first year is actually my podcast partner, BJ. So I knew he was a good person and I knew he was a high performer. I didn't realize how high a performer and how good of a person he is. It, it's hard to go into the explanations, really. You can't possibly do it without talking about the interactions over the last year. But what I can tell you is what I thought was going to be a neat little hobby that I thought would maybe improve my game and give me an excuse to talk to somebody I like every week has turned into something that's becoming very special. It's growing every week. We went from begging people to be on to people offering to be on, which is a nice thing. So that's a whole different thing. We're putting out quality product and 90% of that quality that sound quality is BJ. BJ makes me sound so much smarter than I sound in real life. And I, I'm really grateful for that. BJ and I started this because we really believed we could make each other better people. And I don't know if I've made BJ a better person. I'd like to think if I've done anything, I may have made him more patient <laughs> having to deal with me every week. He's really made me a better person. He's made me a better writer. He's made me a better performer. I, I wouldn't call myself anywhere close to being a high performer yet, but I'm getting there. And he's really helped me with the application, not just in poker, but with my application of the things I want to do in every aspect of my life. And I, I really appreciate it. that's the biggest surprise to me. I did not expect it to be this big of a change. To plug communities for a little bit, I mean, just working with the two of you talking poker as a coach, you're two of those students where you kind of force a coach to get better because uh, as BJ being a performer, like his willingness to go every week and do an exercise, right? Like flop texture analysis and to sit in a thread and argue slash discuss <laughs> topics with you, Dell, like you challenge and it's great. So it forces the people around you to kind of figure out either what they actually mean to say or to challenge their own point of view. So just in the sense of finding people to put around you and kind of latch onto their coattails, you know what I mean? But like surrounding yourself with people that you know can make you better, whether it be like, may not be the best poker player, but you surround yourself with someone who's going to want to go put in volume every day. Sometimes like you want to start working out, like you don't need to find a strength coach. You just need to find a friend who's willing to call you at 7 a.m. on Saturday and be like, let's go to the gym. And all you just need that person to get you in the front door. And then the results are going to start showing up the more volume that you put in. Yeah. Before we move on, I do have to say that Dell has had an impact on my life positively. As a burgeoning life coach, 
Dell is available whenever I need him, really. And people don't see this on the podcast because this happens on the pre-show banter even before we start recording. We'll get on, we'll do the sound check, we'll shoot the breeze for a while. And if I ever mention any problem that I'm having in my life, I only do it because I know Dell's going to latch onto it and want to practice his life coaching skills on what I just shared with him, which is really why I share it with him. So I'll say stuff to him like, hey, I'm going through this, I'm going through that, this is happening, and he's a sounding board. And it's, it's not poker related necessarily, it's about the other things surrounding life. And the other things surrounding life are all those aspects that a partner doesn't appreciate until you've engaged with them over a number of weeks. So the fact that Dell and I have this relationship that goes beyond poker that none of you see, or I should say here, is really the impact that Dell's had on me. So thanks, bud. It goes both ways. Thank you. I would like to talk about what might be our biggest accomplishment. I think it's funny because you two both agree on what our biggest accomplishment is. So I'm going to let you guys share what you guys think first. I'll go first. I'll go first. The fact that we kept with it. Jordan had mentioned earlier in the episode, a lot of small businesses fail within the first year. I would not consider ourselves a small business, although really we kind of are. I mean, we are producing a product. We have customers. We have partners. We have providers and suppliers and all that good stuff. We kind of are a business. And maybe we should incorporate in an LLC and sell swag and get you know taxes, whatever. But the fact that we didn't fail, the fact that we're still doing it and we're going strong. I mean, we still have a backlog of easily another year's worth of episodes. It's really a balancing act, but the fact that we were able to do it despite all of the competing issues in our life. I mean, my family knows on Sundays from three to four, I'm busy recording a podcast. Now we happen to be doing this on a Saturday because we're recording this on Mother's Day weekend and we're able to accommodate those schedules with our families because they know how important this is to us. So we have the buy-in from our partners and our families. And that's great. Not just keeping up with it, but we're not just doing a podcast. Like we got YouTube and Twitter and we have an Instagram account that I know we don't use. We got to do that. It's coming in year two. We're doing a lot more. Oh, blogs. You decided, Dell, that you wanted to start a weekly blog. And I was like, hold on. Are you sure? Because once you hit this bell, you can't unsound this alarm. If you say you want to do a weekly blog, you got to do a weekly blog. Because one of the things that you and I both appreciate is the fact that I think what like Matt and Blake and others said regarding study, consistency is key. If you can't do it consistently and show up regularly, don't do it. And you're like, no, I'm ready. We're going to do it. And we haven't missed a single blog post. We haven't missed a single episode. We haven't missed a single YouTube video. We have been 100% on point to our commitments. That is huge. Yeah, and not all rewards are uh, monetary. To analogize it to the small business, you're putting out a product, you know, you have customers like listeners. The reason that you said that you wanted to do this from the beginning was to become better players. You're forced to kind of think about a topic on a weekly basis. And then the return for you is to build that skill set. So now you are holding yourself accountable to a, a group of customers or listeners that expect to hear something and, and read something from you every week. It's not necessarily all about selling out, right? But like putting in the work there, you, you've lasted for a year. That's, I mean, honestly, just an accomplishment itself. It's pretty awesome, actually. And the joke of selling out, I've just 
I don't see it ever happening because somebody mentioned doing a clickbaity type titles and stuff like that. And I just, it's not us. We had Zach Elwood on and, and that might be a little commercially because we were talking about his Tells products and we've had Blake on and talked about that product. And we talk about School of Cards a lot, but I don't think we ever go into being commercial and nobody gives us anything for doing those as of yet. Anyways, we've not made a dime doing any of that. The only people that pay us anything is Anchor and they pay us pennies. And I do mean literally pennies. So we're not really a commercial podcast and I don't ever see us anybody listening, we will gladly take sponsors, but we'll take sponsors that we believe in what they have to offer. I think of it as pure, but I'm probably going to get backlash with that word. You know, I, I think our podcast is pure. And I think, go ahead, BJ. We do have one subscriber. Yes. I have to give Diane K a shout out because she does support the show at 99 cents an episode. Because if you go to our support link, you can support the show. And we always say, one big blind per month is all we ask. So we do have at least one person that does support us financially. And I do want to give her a shout out. So thank you, Diane. Thank you very much, Diane. What I thought our biggest accomplishment in this first year was the fact that we've had people who are well-known poker experts listen to our podcast and nobody has told us we're getting wrong. And I realize as we're going through this, that that's really wrapped up in my ego, in my notion about theory. That's really not our biggest accomplishment. I think our biggest accomplishment really is that we've had people who've listened to our podcast that have said we've helped them enjoy poker better. We've helped them make money at poker. We've had one person who stated a couple different times that we've helped them understand concepts that they weren't able to understand before because we simplify it. And I think that's really our biggest accomplishment. We're actually helping people be better poker players and I hope also be better people because we also talk about how we feel the world should be at the poker table, ethically speaking. That's a nice segue into the podcast that we like the least this year, because <laughs> I'm going to go with this one. The, the podcast I, I like the least was the one on ethics. And I want to make sure that I make this very clear. Jordan and I have had a few debates on ethics in poker, and we're almost always on the opposite side. And we have these conversations and with nuance. So we've had these conversations, and we've always been respectful about them, and we love having them. The problem with that episode was we recorded it and we had all these problems and nothing worked out right. So we re-recorded it and we didn't want to go back over and hash the rest of it because there's nothing canned about our podcast. There's no script. I do an outline every week for it that we sort of follow, but we don't stick 100%. We don't read it verbatim. It's not a canned thing. And we didn't ever want it to be that way. So we tried doing it all over, but we had already hashed out all the topic. So for me, it didn't feel like it flowed. And it was so hard. And I got to tell you, I couldn't listen to that one. I couldn't. It was so hard to listen to. But Jordan, you love it. <laughs> so, I mean, I think that's part of what, what makes your podcast so great is it really is just the two of you talking about something. So to just give you a shout out for credibility's sake, like you said, you don't have a script. You have an outline of, of topics that you want to discuss, but it is seriously the two of you sitting down and then discussing a topic. The only way you can discuss a topic at depth is to have a good understanding. You know, or the listener should know that you both truly understand what you're talking about because it is just the two of you sitting down and discussing it. And that, that ethics episode 
we so often just talk about something that happens in the poker world. Someone sits down at a casino, has something crazy happen, and it leads to a thread about like the ethics behind the check raise there and a comment or something that happened or a slow roll is something, an angle. There were some things that we talked about in the first episode that kind of, you know, we had some good discussion. And then when we did it again, I got sidetracked by like slow rolling and angle shooting and all the stuff that people know is bad. And so if we did the ethics episode now, like I'm sure we talked for three hours about Phil Helmuth and the live stream that he did. And, you know, I generally just have a point of view of like poker is the wild west. Let the players do what they want to do. And, you know, the dealers are there just to deal the cards and you understand that you're paying a rake to have a good, fair game run. And I'll give you that because I never really thought about it from that point of view. I think that episode had so much potential to talk about what poker actually is, why people play, what the whole point of sitting down and like risking money to compete against someone else versus like having a good time and playing with your friends. And instead, we ended up talking about like slow rolling for 20 minutes, which is just kind of dumb. So perhaps the two unethical things about that podcast were one, making Dell re-record that again, and two, making our listeners sit through that. Yeah, let's go ahead and re-record that at some point during year two. I was going to say, like this, like the Star Wars redo. <laughs> yeah, so my least favorite episode has nothing to do with the content and everything to do with looking back to where we were back then and where we are now. And that is episode one, The Sin of Limping. The content was great, and I know the content on that episode specifically helped at least one person who told us when we were playing a live cash game that we saved them thousands of dollars by not limping. We got them out of that habit. That's great. I love the fact that we had a positive impact. That episode is cringeworthy. I cannot listen to that episode just like you couldn't listen to our ethics episode because of the way that I post-produced it relative to what I can do now. Like, if I could go back and remaster those early episodes, I might want to do that. I don't think we need to, and I don't think I really have the desire to really go back and do all that stuff. It's not like Star Wars digitally remastered, you know? That's, that's completely different. Han Solo shot first. We know that. Okay. But anyway, the Cinder Limping, the, the post-production on that was just so bad. The audio quality was, oh, I, I can't listen to it. So I, I give... I give all the people credit who listened to that episode and stuck with it for episode two and three and four and five, because we got better. As far as content goes, that is a great first topic, though, because it's literally everyone's experience when they first start playing. Yeah, I mean, I went playing this week, and I can tell that everybody at the table has not paid attention to our first podcast. Jordan and I have the same favorite episode and for very different reasons. Uh, my favorite episode was the one I did with my wife because honestly, there's nobody that I want to have coffee with other than her. My favorite time in my life is when I get to be home and I get to get up and I get to have, to have coffee with my wife and I get to spend time with my wife. To be able to interview her for a podcast and Literally, that wasn't scripted. And I had not asked her. I did not know what her answers were going to be. I came away from that podcast feeling so much more support in my poker journey and so much love for my wife that I love listening to it again. I occasionally do. So you can really tell, though, that that, that conversation was candid when you do it. You did mention she's read these questions before. I don't know the answers. Listening to that episode, you really can tell that 
she was answering then. And I think it was so great that you were willing to put that out, that you didn't like listen beforehand to screen it, essentially. You were like, hey, I'm going to ask you these questions and whatever your answer is, the public's going to hear it. And it was just so wholesome. I mean, both of your episodes, BJ and Dell, you as well, uh, both conversations with your wives were great. Dell's conversation just dealt with some concerns, issues, topics that the poker community, I'm sure, could really relate to. And I thought just as a conversation between two supportive partners in a relationship, it's just so great for all groups, all communities to just listen to that, to listen to a conversation between two people who support each other and what they're trying to do. It was really just nice to hear that positivity is still out there in the world. Yeah. I mean, even though I enjoyed interviewing Amy for that Marriage and Poker Part 2 episode, it pales in comparison to what Del and Terry had. Just, it was so, it was raw, it was real, it was heartfelt. You could just feel the emotion coming through the speakers when you listen to that episode. And there was a lot of vulnerability put out there. Like Jordan, you'd mentioned you put yourself out there. Yeah, there was a lot of stuff that came out of that episode that dealt with real heavy topics. And I don't think my episode with Amy came across with that level of depth because we just didn't have those challenges. Like I, I tell everyone at the casino that the secret to my marriage of almost 22 years is that I found a smart, beautiful, funny woman with really low standards. And it's true. She, I mean, she's easygoing. She's kind of nonchalant. It's like, whatever. She goes with the flow. Very zen. But because Terry has a background as a clinical psychologist and you were sharing what you were sharing and she was reacting in a very real way, that was just amazing. That, that's a Hall of Fame cast right there. I want to say that the secret to my marriage is the fact that my wife is a clinical therapist and I'm her thesis for getting her doctorate someday. So no, I looked it up. It's episode 32 of Conversation on Marriage and Poker, part one, the Hamiltons. I think everyone should listen to it. It's so great. I'm going to tell you, one of the things I learned through this last year, that things that really could improve people's poker in lives are the least listened to episodes. People want to talk about bet sizing. They want to listen to the bet sizing episode, which was, I mean, it's all good stuff, you know, and they want to listen to the bluffing series, Ego. They didn't want to listen to the marriage ones are not as high as the others. There's a bunch that are life skills that would greatly improve somebody's return at the poker table. People don't want to listen to it. Yeah, burrito principle, right? You did an episode on that too. I mean, it's some pretty good leverage. A little bit of mental game goes a super long way. So I got to love this about the Pareto principle. There was a school of cards coach who posted in our Slack community that they had just became familiar with this concept of the Pareto Principle, which by the way, listen to that episode, it's the 80-20 rule. It pretty much happens universally. You can listen to it. And this coach had been like, hey, I had never heard of this before. Here's a link. And I was like, seriously? Here's our podcast where we talk about that exact same thing. Yeah. It's awesome that we've had these interactions. It's awesome that this is all going on. It's been a really great first year, but let's take a moment and focus on the next 52 weeks. For myself, there's a few things I want to accomplish. I want to start life coaching, going to start being a poker life coach. We're going to do that through the blind stealing the blinds. Honestly, I'm looking forward to it because my goal isn't just to help people be better poker players. It's to help them be better in their lives, in the decisions they make within their lives. I'm looking forward to 
making our podcast even better. We've never mailed it in, but I know we can even be better. And the funny part is at, at first, BJ went on and he ran and he's like, we're going to make this special. And I was like, you know, settle down. We're just going to do a podcast, <laughs> you know, but he's right. I'm sold now. I'm sold that we can be something special in the poker community. I want to be able to have meaningful guests over the next year. I think we've had meaningful guests and I want to continue that. One of the biggest things I want to accomplish is this process. I want to be able to start providing content for our listeners that is going to provide immediate benefits to them. I mean, I think we do already, but I want to increase what we do. What are you looking at over the next 52 weeks there, DJ? It might not surprise you to figure that I'm looking to do too much. <laughs> Whenever I take something on, I want to take on everything. So I have some ideas to get into Instagram and TikTok. I have ideas for a daily series for next year. I don't know when that's going to start, but I have an idea. I don't want to give spoilers to it, but it's it's for those people who want to play Texas Hold'em and simply don't know how. They don't know the basics. So the general gist of this is to take someone from zero all the way to hero. You don't even know what a starting hand is. You don't even know the game mechanics. You don't even know what a flop is. These aren't our listeners, but they might be the friends of our listeners who are like, I would love to play. I just don't know how. I'm currently in discussions with an application development team to develop an app that I had an idea for. I'm hoping that in the next few weeks, those plans will solidify and I might actually have a release schedule for minimum viable product, which we could kick out to our podcast listeners as a beta test and then get some feedback, refine that, and then develop more functionality into future releases of this app. It's not a game. The value proposition is really to help performers play at their peak levels longer. And by playing at your peak levels longer, you will increase your win weight. I also have an idea for some other apps to develop. I came up with a prioritization to action, Google Sheet. And I think we shared the Google Sheet with our podcast listeners, where you try to figure out what you want to do with your life and then try to figure out how much time you have available to do those things. And then you schedule time to do those things and maybe involve community support and involve reward bundling and all of these psychological behavioral economist hacks to get done what you want to get done. And maybe another app regarding something for flop texture work and other tools and things that we can do. Maybe another app for telling you you're doing too much at one time. <laughs> exactly. There are 52 weeks in a year. You know what? Pitter-patter, let's get at her. Hashtag letter Kenny. So, Jordan, I really think of you as part of the blind stealing the blinds. I mean, you've basically have managed to stand in once for me. You've managed to stand in for the ethics one. I think actually that's one thing I want to accomplish. I want to redo the ethics episode sometime <laughs> and actually get it right. Is there anything you want to accomplish personally? Is there anything you'd like to accomplish with us? And is there anything you'd like to see us accomplish? Well, I guess uh, I have I have one answer that maybe combines all three. And I, I think moving forward, poker is really seeing kind of a second boom as far as community and, and local poker economies. I mean, there's a lot of casinos and rooms, poker rooms that have popped up. You just look at Texas as like a case study for what's going on around the country. Here in Michigan, there's charity rooms that are, are basically staples. The way that the law is written is to just allow charities to host a millionaire gaming night, but there's poker supply companies that do it regularly. So it becomes a very communal game where you have all your locals as opposed to 
a casino in DC where you're going to get a lot of people on business trips and all that. You just look at the way that poker has evolved. Um, we went from the boom from 2006 to issues with high stakes poker online players, you know, getting shut down in uh, Black Friday. And then poker kind of had to find its way back to the mainstream. Uh, so now we're seeing just local live streams in, in Jacksonville, the Hustler live stream, like the Stones live stream with the cheating scandal, whatever. I mean, it, it, when things are new, there's exploits, but I see that as a positive thing that these live streams are, are happening all over the place. So I think it would be really cool to see a blind, still in the blind live stream, you know, maybe in the Maryland area or up in the Northeast somewhere near Boston or something, getting in touch with the local community and doing like a meetup game or something. I think you guys would be great, especially how well you play off each other, hosting a meetup game where, you know, we can maybe have some fun antics going on at the table. You guys maybe rotate through. I think there's a good opportunity for that as well. And I really think that's where the future of the game is, is bringing people together. We were talking about when you talk topics on the podcast, you're kind of just like talking to each other, right? I mean, maybe you could do uh, some some live stuff, bring in some, some more guests that are kind of like local heroes. I think your episodes that you've done, your interviews were great. You really get to showcase your abilities there when you bring in professionals that play the game for a living and, and talk about those issues that those professionals have because you guys both do know what you're talking about. And then when you brought in the, the Women's Poker Association, it really highlighted the need for that kind of outreach to groups who just don't even know what the game is. And I, I may be jaded, but I feel like the regular players who've been playing for a long time, we don't really care much anymore to watch Phil Hamuth and Daniel Agranu. Like, we want to see our friends play. And I, I think that's the, there's a great opportunity out there to teach those life skills that poker can bring to other groups. I know that there's opportunities out there to work with maybe, you know, kids groups as, as far as like summer camps, when you have, you know, basketball camps to teach that like activity and discipline, like poker has so many lessons to teach and it's bogged down with the idea that you're gambling, right? So it seems like a negative thing. But teaching that risk and reward and teaching all of the skills that poker requires, I think is super beneficial. I really think we can look at the positives of the game and bring that to groups like summer camps and stuff. So as far as reaching for the stars and having some lofty goals that, you know, it doesn't seem like there's a clear route, uh, I would love to see some kind of outreach in, in that regard. I appreciate everything you're saying there. And I certainly would like to try something like that, but I don't really know the path to take yet, but it's certainly worth delving into. I will say this, that I think that every little niche sport or hobby always has a face on it. And I think that it's time for poker to choose some better faces. And, and let me make this clear. I think Doyle Brunson is a great face of poker, and I've got nothing negative to say. But there's some other faces. They've grown wearisome, tiresome with their antics. And I think it's time for poker to get better representation, better ambassadors to watch and bring more people in. I think the game grows when we can make people comfortable in the environment in which it exists. That would be awesome. I think that it's time to uh, bring this episode to a close with a final question. Where do you see poker headed in the next five years? For myself, I see two paths. I generally don't look in one path. I, I see two paths. I can see that poker could continue to head down a path where it is being killed off by casinos pushing too much rake. The 
fact that there is such an extreme chasm between the skill level of professional poker players and rec players because there's this constant working on targeting that rec player and taking them for everything you can as fast as you can. And I think that it really pushes down the game. Now, I understand I want everybody to play the game. I want people to be profitable. I think that there is this point where when there's this constant singling out of the weak fish and battering that fish till they quit poker, you're killing what keeps the game alive. You know, so I could see poker continuing on that path where it's harder and harder to get people to play the game. I can also see the game going another path where it grows. And and that's going to involve, in my opinion, not tolerating abusive behavior at the tables. It's going to involve trying to help people learn the basics of the game. I don't believe in coaching at the table. Uh, I want to make this clear. I'm not trying to say teach that person next to you the mistake they made. But I think that we can, in a moment after the game or when somebody gets up, be able to talk to them and say, I don't want you to walk away not liking poker. And if you maybe had done these things, you might be a little better off because I want people to play the game. I mean, that's they if they don't play the game, if we don't bring more people in, if we don't find a way to get more women playing the game, if we don't find a way to get more minorities playing the game, then it's going to go back to what it was before the poker boom, where it's just a bunch of old men sitting around fighting over who's going to win a couple dollars or two an hour playing stud poker. That's where it's headed if we don't grow the game. I see a lot of social additions to playing. And I also see, for just the logistics standpoint, online poker is coming back to the United States. Like, there's no way to stop. Casinos just know that there's money to be made there. There's been some some recent ground made. Uh, so Michigan has online poker and they're creating a what is it like a compact or whatever so michigan players can play with jersey players nevada players pennsylvania like all these other states that have online poker so basically what they had to do is tear everything down and build it back up so everyone could get their hand in the pot whatever but you know focus on the positive as more states start to allow online poker then those states can talk to each other and create their agreement between states to say our pool can play with your pool it's we're not very far out from having the entire country back online and you know software being so great you can make changes very quickly and the tournaments can run without much difficulty so we'll we'll see new formats like progressive knockout where you now have a new thing to focus on if you haven't played a progressive knockout bounty tournament yet i mean you you got to try it it's pretty cool you might find a spot where like the short stack has won 10 bounties and his bounty can be worth more than the next page up. So it now behooves you to like flip with that player, even though you might lose like 20 big blinds, but the potential to win his bounty is insane. All right. So then eventually you get heads up where the, the final two players have like a ton of bounties on their head. And so whoever knocks out the other player gets like all the bounty reward money and all that stuff. You can do that uh, with computer software because it's super easy to, to adjust those tournaments. Uh, you can add you know, new things to cash games, we can change the amount of players seated at a table. So we'll see some new stuff. And so it's no longer like Dell was saying, you have the best players just like bum hunting. And you know, there's no way to beat them because they're the best of the best, like these new tournament styles, these new formats, rather, bring new things to think about. So you put an old school, tighter player in that tournament, they're just not going to take the risks, they're just not going to see the reward that another more aggressive player might see. So there's always 
new things that we can do. And there's always adjustments that can be made. That would be awesome. I was thinking about the local community involvement, and I'm wondering whether I could reach out to my local community college and take some sort of role as an adjunct professor to teach a poker and life skills course where we divorce it from the gambling negative connectivity aspect and hit all those other concepts you were talking about, risk reward, critical thinking, emotional resilience, mental fortitude, all those things that will help people become their best versions of themselves. So yeah, maybe I could check into that. I think there's an aspect to the online stuff that will tie into the social aspect that really encompasses the experiential component of the Web 3.0, and that's the metaverse. And Jordan, you know that I co-own a parcel of land in a metaverse, so I have some metaverse land. It would be interesting to see whether we could use that parcel of land in the metaverse to host TBSTB live streams or some community engagement surrounding the social aspects of poker. And I think the metaverse is going to play a bigger part in that social aspect going forward. I am old. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have anything else. I'm just, I'm, I'm really proud of what we've done and I'm excited for the future. You have anything to add, Jordan? Well, happy anniversary. Thank you. Happy anniversary. Thanks. Thanks, Jordan, for joining us. Thanks, Del, for being with me for the past 52 weeks. It's been a pleasure. It's been an awesome pleasure. And for the next year, stick to the plan and may all your variants be positive. This has been The Blind Stealing the Blinds, a podcast by students of the game for students of the game. If you haven't already done so, consider subscribing. And when you're not counting your chips, take a moment to leave the guys a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get yours. Thank you.